Welcome back to the Sportspedia Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. If you have not already, please subscribe to the SMW podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Let's dive into the topics of the week, and we'll start with the New York Jets, who despite the absence of Aaron Rodgers, who obviously we all know tore his Achilles, uh, in the first series of the first game of the season, the Jets have turned into a pretty good TV draw. They played in the most watched game of the season, at least if you're only looking at Nielsen, this past Sunday with their upset of the Eagles. They have actually played in the three most watched NFL windows this season. And if you look at them on the field, obviously a lot of hue and cry to start the season about how poorly, uh, you know, Zach Wilson was playing. They're three and three. You know, that's not that bad. They got the same record as the Cincinnati Bengals, right? So uh, maybe there is still something to be said for the New York Jets being on national TV. Maybe you don't have to flex them out. Might want to flex the Giants out, though. They played in the least watched Sunday night game of the season against Buffalo. Uh, out of the two New York teams, it might be the case that even without Rodgers, these Jets are are pretty watchable, or at least a lot of people seem to think so. So uh, that was uh, probably the most interesting ratings item of the weekend. The most watched NFL window of the entire season for Jets-Eagles. Uh, Drew, I'll bring you in. Yeah, you certainly have to give credit to some of their opponents. I mean, they one of those yeah. games is Dallas. Another one was Kansas City. And then this game against Philadelphia, who's undefeated going into the game. Um, I'm sure that the fact that the game was close and ended up in a Jets victory also contributed to the big number um but there is something to be said about the new york jets i think despite the fact that aaron Rodgers is not playing for them they've proven themselves capable at least of being a middle of the road team i don't want to put them in the upper echelon of the nfl um, by any means their offense doesn't look like they can uh, compete at a high level but you know i guess it, it kind of also gives some credence to uh what their coach said, Robert Sala, about going through a gauntlet of quarterbacks to start the year and, and ending up three and three. Um, you know, that gauntlet did include like Mac Jones, uh, if, if you want to throw him in there. But um, in any case, yes, you know, it, it is an interesting, fun stat to say, yes, the Jets have played in the three most watched games this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly, if I if I were to give a reason, I think I would give more credit to their opponents than the Jets themselves. but. Um, definitely something to monitor the rest of the year. Yeah. And you got to wonder what in the world is going on, why the New York teams have such bad quarterbacks. Uh, now, Daniel Jones is not Mac Jones. That's one important factor. He's not that bad, right? I mean, he's he's okay. Uh, he's, he's okay, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, but, they did pay him. You're right. But how is it that the Bills get Josh Allen and the Bengals get Joe Burrow and the Chiefs get Pat Mahomes? And all of these amazing quarterbacks are in the NFL now. And in New York and New England, I mean, what is going on there? Uh, now, New England gets a little bit of a pass because they, they, they got it pretty right back in 2000. But uh, I'm, I'm flummoxed as to why New York, when was the last time either New York team had a good quarterback? How many decades are we going back? Well, he won two Super Bowls, but yeah. it's arguable if he's actually that great of a quarterback. He was serviceable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He was he was uh, certainly not an all time great, but I actually genuinely forgot about Eli. Uh, that wouldn't happen with Peyton. Uh, so then you get Brett Favre, who played for the Jets for a year uh, or two years. That, that was uh, Jordan with the Wizards, and not as good. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Brett did okay in, in Minnesota. We yeah. don't want to get sued by Brett Favre. We got to point out, he did do well in Minnesota. Uh, and he had one year, uh, yeah, Mark Sanchez went to the AFC Championship game with the Jets. So it, there's been flashes, but you're right. There's not been a franchise quarterback um, at, at either of these franchises. Yeah. I mean, and it's New York City. New York City needs to have a franchise quarterback. It needs to have a great shortstop. It needs to have a great center. And it needs to have whatever positions in hockey are great. And it needs to have a great quarterback. It does seem like New York just does not get those big personalities that they used to have. Oh, why do you think the media this entire offseason, they were clamoring for Aaron Rodgers to be yep. great? Um, you know, this is a 39-year-old, going on 40-year-old quarterback. Yeah. Uh, that they're throwing, at least the media is throwing all their eggs into that basket, thinking, mm-hmm. all right, well, can he put one or two more good years? I mean, if if you look at you know past history, the likelihood is that he was not going to have a good year. He's he's yeah. getting to the the quarterback cliff where you know you saw this with Ben Roethlisberger, right, and even Tom Brady to extent, although it happened you know five years after he right. turned forty. Um, eventually, quarterbacks just cannot compete anymore. We might have seen flashes of that last year with Rodgers, too, in Green right. Bay, uh, especially in the first half of the season. So this was no guarantee, but the media was ready to anoint him as the next great thing yeah. for New York City. Um, obviously, we didn't get to see how that would pan out. but um, yeah, He looked know. pretty good those first four stamps, right? <laughs> he looked pretty good those first four stamps. Did he, did he even complete a pass? <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't think yeah. he did. Uh, but I will say, before I get any criticism for it, obviously they got Sabrina Ionescu and Brianna Stewart and John Quell Jones and uh, and Courtney Vandersloot. They got a great team in New York, and uh, with the injury to Chelsea Gray, they could actually win that uh, series that they were getting smoked in just a week ago. But, you know, we all know the big four are where it's at. And, and uh, that's the NBA, Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, and the National Football League. It's the big four for a reason. And New York just has not had those stars. You bring up Aaron Rodgers, and that's actually a great segue into another topic, the uh, the push and pull, right, between Aaron Rodgers and the media, the symbiotic relationship. The media, very high-minded. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, how shameful. Oh, look, look what he's saying about Fauci now. And it's like, you could easily ignore him, right? Easily. And in fact, if you are so concerned about misinformation, then your moral imperative is to ignore him. But we all know what this really is. This is content. This is clicks, right? And Rogers knows it's clicks. And the people criticizing him know it's about clicks. And uh, it's, uh, it's a giant waste of everybody's time. But if you can get a few clicks out of it, then I guess it was worth it. But uh, yeah, let's segue into that. Well, yeah. And, you know, of course, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, he's well compensated for those clicks yes, now. Yes. Um, it, it, for those that maybe have been living under a rock, um, it was reported by Andrew Marchand in the New York Post that Rogers is getting over seven, seven figures annually for his appearances on the Pat McAfee show, um, yeah. where many of these uh, media circuses start. Right. This is where some of the cycles start happening. And, you know, he was on there today talking about Fauci. And last week he was talking about Travis Kelsey and the Pfizer vaccine. I mean, this is what Aaron Rodgers is now. Right. He's someone who wants a platform to, you know, espouse his views on whatever the topics of the day are. I mean, honestly, this isn't really even the topic of the day. This is the topic of two years ago. Yeah. 
he recognizes that it's good branding to trigger, for lack of a better word, the media. The media likes to get triggered. Getting triggered moves the needle. 99% of the content out there is to try to make people upset. That's 99% of the content on cable news, and it's 100% of the content on the internet. It's to get people upset. If you're upset, you'll click. People who are happy are not watching Fox News or CNN or MSNBC at night. If you're happy, you're not clicking on every piece of clickbait that there is. You're doing so because there's a hole inside of you that you're trying to fill with something to activate your dormant brain, right? That's what it is. And so Rogers is giving himself up because he also recognizes that his fan base will love the fact that the media gets out of control when, when he says something. So it's a mutual relationship in that way. Uh, and, um, you know, is it good for anybody? Probably not. Very little of what's going on in this industry is good for anybody at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's just where things have to be. You you have to be realistic. Like Aaron Rodgers is the gift that keeps on giving for yep. sports media, right? And he's the gift that keeps on giving to Pat McAfee as well. I yeah. mean, he was pretty much single-handedly um, took a relatively popular show, you know, a show that certainly had a, a following on the internet and, you know, wasn't, a, you know, a small show by any means, but, and he blew that audience up to something that became probably the biggest sports talk show outside of, you know, first take on ESPN. Um, and now obviously he's on ESPN, that same platform with first take. So Aaron Rodgers is a content god for all of us in sports media because he generates those headlines and generates those clicks. It's up to us, I guess, you know, the consumers to decide, all right, enough is enough, right? But I don't think the people that, um, you know, follow the NFL have had enough of Aaron Rodgers yet. So, you know, maybe one day. Well, never take people in the media seriously when they complain about the folks that they're covering incessantly. because. You can easily stop, especially for a guy like Rogers, who's not saying anything important. You know, it's remember, everyone wants to put the blame on every single person in a red state. But you know who made Trump the president? Jeff Zucker. Jeff Zucker did that. And, and Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough made Donald Trump the president. It was the mainstream media. It's desperate for content. Didn't really think anything would come of it. And, you know, it keeps repeating that cycle over and over again. So, you know, all this stuff with Rogers and Pat McAfee, it is worth noting how much the media game has changed and how much has changed at ESPN. Just want to quickly sneak in another very long tenured ESPN employee on the way out, Chris LaPlaca, after 43 years. Uh, I actually don't think I ever interacted with Chris LaPlaca in all my years doing the site. Uh, I walked through Disney World with Mike Soltis. So I've obviously corresponded with a lot of other ESPN folks. I don't think I ever interacted with Chris LaPlaca somehow, so I feel like I, I missed out there, but uh, bon voyage to, to him. You know, it, in, in the context of all this uh, McAfee, Aaron Rodgers stuff, you know, and the fact that ESPN is now promoting this as, as yeah. a platform, this is a conscious decision they've made. Obviously, Chris LaPlaca did not leave because he's worried about a PR crisis yeah. from Aaron Rodgers. That being said, it's only a matter of time, right, mm -hmm. before Aaron Rodgers or even Pat McAfee says something, um, you know, that kind of goes against the ethos of Disney as a company or it goes against, um, you know, 
maybe what a lot of their other on-air talent believe and think. ESPN, um, I don't want to cut you off. ESPN sure. lit upon Sage Steele for saying less than than Aaron Rodgers is saying on Pat McAfee's show. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers is not an ESPN employee. I know everybody hates Sage Steele. Open season on Sage. Oh, what a terrible person. You know, yada, yada, yada. Here's the simple fact. Sage Steele never said anything on, first of all, the stuff Sage Steele said wasn't even on ESPN's airwaves, right? And what he said wasn't nearly as inflammatory as what Rogers is saying. Uh, it was on Jay Cutler's podcast. Yeah. At first, who is listening to Jay Cutler's podcast? It's ridiculous. But you bring up something. You said that Aaron Rodgers is not an ESPN employee. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of a gray area now, considering right. that we know he's getting paid. That's true. E- ESPN is is licensing the Pat McAfee show. So it kind of gets a little foggy when you're licensing a product like that, that you're pretty much just putting on your air, no editorial guidance at all. Do those cast members, does that talent, for lack of a better word, uh, become the subject of ESPN scrutiny, right? Because ESPN by proxy is paying these people, but they might not be directly under contract with the company. Well, I think... A lot has changed for ESPN just since 2021 because this is stuff that ESPN, first of all, you got to remember there was a time when saying what Aaron Rodgers is saying would not just have been accompanied by tut tutting. People would have been coming for, you know, you got to fire this person, fire that person. This is a, a scourge and all that in, in the heat of COVID. So a lot has changed at ESPN just in two years because I don't think this would have happened on ESPN's era two years ago. But there's, an, there's a real an air of desperation emanating from Bristol and everybody else in this industry and everybody in all of media, right? Everyone is in a desperate situation. Nobody is thriving right now if you're, if you're in the media business. So this is something where ESPN would never have done this, but now it has to do it. The same thing with the, the Penn National, the, the betting thing. These are all desperation moves. Uh, and, uh, so ESPN is, is, is very different now than it was when, you know, Allison Williams, who did nothing but quality work there. See you later. This is a pregnant woman who's afraid of getting the vaccine and she doesn't get it. So she's gone. Now you got Aaron Rodgers saying, you know, calling out Fauci by name. I mean, there's so many people who ESPN threw to the wolves during all of that, who have got to be. If they're still paying attention to what's going on in Bristol, I'm sure they are not thrilled. Yeah, maybe Sage Steele should have uh, held out on settling that lawsuit. You know, she would have had a little bit more fodder uh, about a few months later, right? It's interesting the way that works. I will say, you know, there's also the gender argument here. I mean, the reality is when I was doing this uh, podcast with TJ, I didn't actually look this up myself. So uh, I'm I'm basing it on what he told me. I believe that Mel Kiper Jr. was also someone who didn't want to take the vaccine and, and refused right. to yep. be on set, and he's still there. And so, you know, ESPN, um, I don't know. You know, with Mel Kiper, he was very rarely in studio anyway, so they were oh. apparently fine with him just completely doing all of his work um, from a remote location. Yeah, funny how that works at ESPN, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, sure is. Okay, let's transition now to uh, the big baseball rating story, which is game one of the ALCS on Sunday. 
got a nice lead in from that Jets Eagles game we talked about. Uh, 7.02 million mm-hmm. for the Rangers and Astros game one. Great number for Fox there. Why don't you elaborate? Well, I mean, you can't complain. Most watched LCS opener since 2016. Most watched if you include Fox Deportes and the other platforms since 2015. And the most watched ALCS opener since 2012. A lot of great superlatives. The obvious thing is this is the first LCS opener in quite a while to air after the NFL. In fact, I can't even think of another LCS game one in recent years that had a direct lead in from an NFL game. The NFL gets to determine how the baseball playoffs does on Sundays. If they give Fox a doubleheader, then Fox can get a really nice number for the baseball playoffs. If they choose not to, well, we see the World Series isn't on Sundays anymore because the NFL decided to stop scheduling the doubleheader for Fox the week of the World Series. Even when Sunday Night Football started beating the World Series head-to-head every year, they'd still get their highest audience of the year for that Sunday game because of the NFL lead-in. And once the NFL stopped giving baseball that lead-in, that was it. A very underrated, cunning move by the NFL. People talk about the NFL moving in on Christmas Day with the NBA, moving in on all the college football days. The NFL moving the World Series off of Sunday is an underrated flex. As we've discussed, you know, that goes to show the power of of the NFL as, as a league. But how much was the World Series viewership even cutting into football viewership anyway? Um, before... It was cutting into it. Yeah. I mean, every year that, that, that competition would result in a weak Sunday night game. And yeah. of course, there was that little stretch where the NFL had a little bit of a blip uh, that uh, Trump uh, trumpeted. Uh, and baseball at the same time had two really great World Series two years in a row, seven game world series involving the Cubs and then the Dodgers. So there was a little stretch where baseball won that head to head a couple of years. While we're still on the subject of baseball, uh, you know, I did want to shout out Matt Weiner kind of getting a little bit of criticism because uh, he asked a question of Alex Castellanos. That wasn't really a question at the end of one of those Phillies games. And I will say, yes, it wasn't really a question, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to light somebody up on live television when all they're doing is talking about how great you are. And we're all intelligent people here. We know that was a prompt. It wasn't a question, but it was a prompt. When somebody tells you all your great stats after a game, your response is supposed to be, yeah, wow, what a game. I I, I really played great today or whatever. You're not supposed to be a jerk about it for no good reason. And by the way, I also want to say to you know Keegan-Michael Key over there in, in Happy Valley, that was such a jerky thing to do to call out that reporter who asked the question about uh, throwing the ball deep. And I'm talking about, I don't even know this coach's name. What's his name again? Uh, James Franklin, something like that. Yeah. That was such a jerky move of him to do. I'm sick and tired of these college football coaches. I mean, you know, I was, I was praising Nick Saban last week, but then I saw him yelling like a lunatic over a play that didn't even matter at the end of the the Texas A&M game. These coaches are out of control, man. They make college basketball coaches look good by comparison. (laughs) And that's impossible to do. Man, on the Matt Weiner topic, yeah. you know, as someone you know that came on the podcast, clear, clearly is an intelligent journalist. Um, you know, I I know what he's going for there, right? Mm-hmm. You know that this happens all the time where it, it's a non-question question, and it and it just gets the player going, it gets them to right. s- start speaking to the game. 
but I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it's, it's a bit lazy, right? Um, yeah. It, it's obviously you do want to find some way to capture those emotions in the immediate aftermath of the game, but I'm not sure that's the best way. I think you right. might want to be a little more direct because when you're giving the player an opening like that, and let's, you know, Castellanos was a jerk. Like, don't get me wrong. He was, I don't, absolutely. I don't think any, you know, anyone would deny that it, it was a bit funny and I'm sure Matt Weiner probably took it lightly. I don't think he's, you know, taking this uh, harshly at all, but um, you know, who knows? Maybe he is, <laughs> but he's um... steaming, he's steaming, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that to be true. I will tell you if that was me, I would be steaming, man. I would be rooting for the, for the diamondbacks very much. I wouldn't let it show on the air, but I'd be yeah. rooting for the diamondbacks. But I, I don't know. I think there's better ways to have the player evoke their feelings after after the game yeah. um literally just a question as simple as how are you feeling right now you right. know well yeah. you can you still know, lead off with all the superlatives as well can we just be real that sideline reporting and i'm gonna say this for the it it's difficult to say negative things about sideline reporting because it is the most female position in this industry so it almost feels like you're trying to take out all the women in this industry when you say this but we now have enough of a female play-by-play and analyst presence that maybe we can just address the simple fact outside of like five people sideline reporting is i'm not saying a waste of time but it's not effective use of time let let me push back because i think you're really singling out the times where the sideline reporters are on air um either interviewing a coach or um you know cutting into the broadcast the play-by-play to provide an update or uh, provide an anecdote and whatnot the sideline reporters do a lot of legwork on the sidelines to report on injuries report on player reactions and a lot of that information is making its way to the booth it's just not being uh you know it's, it's just not being said by the sideline reporter themselves. So they are providing a, a huge service. And I think pretty much every, any, um, any, any booth that has a, uh, you know, a competent sideline reporter would go out of their way to praise them uh, about the information they provide. That's an excellent point. I'm talking more about what we see as viewers. What we see as viewers is a pointless interview with the coach at the end of the quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, Holly Rowe is one of the best sideline reporters. I said outside about five people, it's just not a good use of time. Holly Rowe is one of the five people. The other day at the end of the first quarter, he's interviewing. They, they, the, the WNBA gives way too much access to media. We do not need to be hearing the coach live. It's, it's an absurdity to be interviewing the coach during the play. And part of this over access that the WNBA allows is at the end of the quarter, Holly Rowe is interviewing Kelsey Plum. Kelsey Plum had to take a moment to catch her breath before even doing the interview because he just stepped off the court. You know, I mean, what kind of insights are we really going to get when the players can't even breathe? They just finished this, you know, exercise. You know, can you imagine getting somebody got right off the treadmill and sticking a microphone in front of their face? <laughs> you know, so I, I think there's a, a lot of what we see, and you make a great point, that it's not just what we see. It's not just what we see. But a lot of what we see, you know, it's once you get past that upper echelon of the Lisa Salters types, once you get to the median sideline reporter or someone like Matt Weiner, who does a lot of different roles and is also on the sidelines, but he's a studio host and play by play, right? Once you get to the people who are not specialists, the best are the specialists who are obviously veterans 
and have done it for a long time. It's it's just time that could have been spent on the broadcast doing something else, and nobody would have noticed that it wasn't there. Let me put it to you this way, John. Have you ever been watching a game where you've actually gotten something insightful from a halftime interview with a coach or a between the quarter? And yeah, it's actually absurd. Everything's a non-answer. And oftentimes there is they're annoyed. Yeah, they're annoyed. It it gives it gives these obnoxious coaches another opportunity to be surly, you know. Yes, yes. And and even worse, it oftentimes cuts into the game broadcast where the actual game will be happening, but they are so concerned that they have to put a third of the screen to a a sideline reporter interview with a coach that's saying nothing. So I think it's absurd. I can understand the post game. That's a little different. But anything during the actual run of play, yeah, absurd. I will say this. The one thing we want sideline reporters for is injury updates. I said before that Holly Rowe is one of the better sideline reporters out there. Chelsea Gray gets injured in game three of the finals on Sunday. He's hopping down in agony. I don't believe we got a sideline update from Holly Rowe about Chelsea Gray after that. It was obvious he wasn't going to come back to the game. And the game was already late in the fourth quarter. But I don't believe, maybe, you know, I, I I watched the final point of that game. So from the point when Chelsea Gray got hurt to the end, I don't remember Holly Rowe doing a sideline update about Chelsea Gray's status. I could be wrong about that. And if I am, I apologize, but I, I don't remember it. And that's the one thing that what we're looking for from a sideline reporter is when Gary Kubiak has a medical issue, Michelle Tafoy is on it. When LeBron James crashes into Jason Day's wife, the late, great Craig Sager is running down the tunnel to get an update on it. Okay, that's what we're looking for. And they are indispensable in those moments, the best ones. But um, everything else, at least as far as the on air, not necessarily what they're what they're putting together, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know that it's the most necessary position, even up to now. And again, I know it's the most female-focused position but ideally, we'll just get more women in positions of play-by-play and analysis as the years go on. Obviously, that's going to be a long process, but tremendous amount of progress has been made on that just in the past few years already. So on the subject of the WNBA finals, obviously, Chelsea Gray's injury is not something anybody wants to see, but it automatically makes the series more interesting because New York, which was getting pretty badly embarrassed in the first few games, now is a real shot. Kelsey Gray is one of the best players on the Aces. And so uh, the chances of a Friday night game five are exponentially higher than they would have been had she not gotten hurt. Uh, So if you get that Friday night game five, who knows how the ratings are going to go so far. Uh, Game one was 729,000 viewers. Games two and three under 700,000, including Six, I think it was 659 for game yep. three on ABC Sunday. Um, you know, this series, there's a lot of hype about it, a lot of excitement among WNBA fans. The numbers, you know, the numbers are great for the WNBA. That was the most watched game three in, in, in 18 years. But it was the most watched game three since, you know, Connecticut, Sacramento. Not exactly a, a marquee series uh, in 2005. And for the league, I, I definitely think that as long as the WNBA has its finals in in NFL season, the ratings are just not going to be what they otherwise could be. Um, and uh, I, I would just come back to 
the fact that the most watched game of the season remains Wings Sparks in the middle of June, a regular season game that not even Arike and Gumbawale remembers. So obviously the WNBA has an ability to draw in June with literally anything that exceeds the league's ability to draw in October with its best possible matchup. I wanted to see if you had any comment on the the WNBA finals kind of under indexing in the demo a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see on your chart here, we got 180,000 for adults 18 to 49, you know, a comparable broadcast on that same day. Uh, Golden State Sacramento NBA preseason got uh, 526,000 viewers, but almost 200,000 in the demo. Yeah. So uh, fewer overall viewers, but more in the demo. Do you think there's a reason why um, the WNBA, at least in that particular game window, was not hitting their numbers uh, uh, in that 18 to 49 range? Well, I mean, the WNBA is always skewed a bit older. Um, it's never had what the NBA has in, in the young demos. Um, I think when the league started, it was a meaningful historical development to a particular generation of women and a particular generation of feminists, Billie Jean King's generation, that has made it always a little bit older skewing than what you would typically want to see as a league from a rating standpoint. But that's just the way that it is. Um, you know, would you like to see more than, you know, 72,000 viewers in 18 to 34? Yeah, you would. But it's not the oldest skewing sport out there, right? It mm-hmm. is what it is. You'd like to see a younger median age, but the fact is those kids are all on TikTok. They're all on TikTok. What, do you, what, what can you do? They're not going to sit down and watch a game. That's one of the big problems for the WNBA in every sport, but also for the WNBA as it tries to grow. I'm quite sure that you know these players are resonating more with young people than they were in the past because... I mean, there's no way that Sabrina Ionescu doesn't have a higher profile among, you know, women 18 to 24 than Tisha Panachero did, right, at that, at that time. But if they're all following her social media but not actually watching her play, what is the benefit, you know? So that is just part of where we are. I think these players are more popular. They're more influential than they've ever been. But they're influential with the demographic, a young demographic that's going to follow them on TikTok, follow them on Instagram, but not actually sit down for two hours to watch them play a basketball game. All right, quick prediction to close out this topic. If this gets to a game five on Friday night, the viewership number is? I'm going to say 1.1 million viewers. I mean, do I think it'll get there? I think I'll probably be wrong. I predicted a million viewers for a few things in the WNBA this year. But to me, with all the hype, New York, Vegas, Friday night, it'll be on the big ESPN. Um, it, there'll be a lot of hype. You know, I said before that people like to complain about ESPN shoehorning in the WNBA, you know, the whole, oh, they're shoving it down our throats thing. And they kind of are. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just the reality. They, they kind of are. I, I don't think there's any, given the ratings and the amount of attention, based on the ratings, if the WNBA is going to get that kind of attention, then there's a lot of other leagues that could too that don't. But there's nothing wrong with that. ESPN has the rights. It's up to them to decide what they want to do. And I think ESPN will bang the drum to make people aware of this game, to make it big, and 
you know, it's a great opportunity for the league. And I think without Chelsea Gray in the lineup, and I mean, I hate the idea of an injury being, you know, described positively, but obviously Vegas beat up on New York in games one and two. New York would have probably won even if Gray hadn't gotten hurt. Although when she got hurt, Vegas was making a pretty big run, had gotten it down to three points. They might have done to New York what they did to Dallas in the semifinals and had a huge comeback to, to, to sweep the series. But, you know, if Chelsea Gray's not in it, and I think New York has a really good shot of making it a close, exciting game. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's an opportunity for the league. Is it as great an opportunity as it would have been if it was on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend on ABC? No, it, it's it's not. But, uh, you know, the league has decided that this is the time of year they want to be in. And uh, no end in sight to that. All right, let's uh, let's close out with one final ratings topic, and that is college football. Let's lead with the Friday night game. Uh, once again, Deion Sanders, Colorado Buffaloes um, took on Stanford. Game averaged 3.29 million viewers. Uh, this was a close game, not throughout. This was a game where Colorado led by 29 points and blew it and sent the game to overtime. Uh, Stanford won in two overtimes, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, so a close game at the end. You know, ratings love close and late, so this did provide that. But the lowest rated, lowest Nielsen rated Colorado game of the season, um, yeah. likely probably more viewers than the game they had on Pac-12 Network last week, but that is not Nielsen rated. Right. Yeah, you uh, got it all correct. I mean, the fact is that Pac-12 Network game was probably the end of Colorado's mojo. After being on regular TV for five straight weeks, seven million viewers each week, all of a sudden, they're on a network nobody gets. Uh, and uh, that, combined with the fact that they did lose those two games in a row, were facing Stanford on a Friday night. I was so convinced the game was going to do well. I was already trying to look up what were the most watched Friday night games ever on ESPN. Didn't come anywhere close to that. Uh, and, uh, hey, you know, the, the bloom was going to get off the rose eventually. Still the most watched Friday night game on ESPN since 2018, um, which is not bad. It's five-year high. But this is nothing historic. The uh, all-time high for a Friday game on ESPN is $7.79 million for Oregon, Arizona on Black Friday in 2010. And of course, uh, not even close to that number. So ABC did pick Colorado UCLA over Washington Stanford. Washington's a top five team. Uh, and uh, it was not a move that people liked. But let's be real, Colorado still moves the needle in a way that other teams don't. Three million for a Friday night game is a great number. It's just back to earth. Now Colorado is in, in the realm of normalcy, but it is not every team that can get you three million viewers for a Friday night game uh, because obviously that's the largest Friday night audience in five years. So there is that, but all of it is just part of this incredible year for the Pac-12. Incredibly terrible timing to have a great year. Washington, Oregon, the most watched Pac-12 conference game, excluding Colorado, since 2012. Uh, the Pac-12 is not a conference that gets 5 million viewers easily. This season, they've had three conference games with over 7 million. They've had seven games uh, that uh, rank among the 13 most watched in terms of including non-conference. So that would include USC, Notre Dame, for example. People are watching the Pac-12 just in time for it to dissolve. Teams will still be around but other conferences will benefit. Uh, there's an AP article that was published today by Pat Graham that I'm quoted in. And uh, the point that I made in that article was that 
the Pac-12 could have easily survived the loss of USC and UCLA. And I believe that's true from a ratings perspective. Maybe there's all sorts of other financial issues that I'm not covering on a daily basis, but just looking at the TV ratings, I'm very confident that the Pac-12 would have thrived without UCLA and USC going forward because all you're losing is USC. UCLA is not typically a relevant team. You can withstand the loss of one team, especially when you've got Washington and Oregon and who knows how long Dion will be there, but Colorado. That could have been a conference that became a ratings power, at least to some extent, over the next few years. We know that the Pac-12 certainly has some regret not taking the deal that was on the table with ESPN a couple years ago um, and kind of playing the long game, trying to, you know, go to Apple, see what their offer was, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think there's any regret on the ESPN side of things that they didn't end up actually getting that package for what they offered? No, because you're going to get those teams. I mean, not all of them. They're going to lose Washington and Oregon, which is a big problem. That's going to be Fox exclusive in the Big Ten. But they're still going to get Colorado, and they're going to get more Colorado games. And again, I mean, I think we all expect Dion to still be there next year, maybe the year after, and maybe they'll actually be a quality team that can contend. You know, I mean, based on his bravado, he seems to be pointing in that direction. So they'll still have Colorado, and they'll still have, uh, well, you're, you're losing Stanford, yeah. right? So your Colorado is not, I mean... Colorado, well, I guess, is going back to the Big 12, right? right. And so They'll keep, remember, Stanford and Cal are going to the ACC. Now, that's those, are true, not, yeah. those are not attractive teams, but Stanford has been good in the past. They'll keep Utah, which is not, a, 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 that's not a sexy team, but they've been good in the past. They'll keep uh, Arizona and Arizona State, and that's not small. Those, especially in basketball, but in football, those are, those are relevant teams, uh, or they're capable of being relevant teams. And uh, who else is uh, going with them? Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. Oh, just those four. Uh, and then Stanford and Cal. So they keep half the conference. They don't keep the half that moves the needle the most. Oregon and USC and, and Washington. I mean, that's unfortunate for them, but they can survive. Uh, and especially if Dion makes Colorado a regular, a regular haunt for TV viewers. All right, John, uh, that seems like a good place to uh, to wrap up today. Yeah. Uh, I will say one quick note. Um, Showtime Sports will be shutting down operations. Obviously, if you're a boxing fan, that is huge yeah. news for you. Um, any comments, reflections on Showtime Sports? Well, I won't pretend I've really watched a lot of boxing. I believe Showtime Sports was where you had the late, great Nick Charles. Uh, who I think used to do those. Um, the reality is the industry is changing by the day and uh, boxing, especially becoming the domain of, you know, Jake Paul, it is what it is. And, you know, that's, that is a, an element from the past. Uh, Showtime and HBO carrying a lot of boxing. That's, that's from a time well gone by. Between um, Showtime Sports shuttering and then, you know, HBO shutting down real sports. I mean, it, it has been a tough year for, you know, the premium sports channels, yeah. I guess, or the premium channels, sports divisions, maybe. Uh, is well, more sports, just keeps, sports just keeps getting siloed off. 
you know, and eventually TNT and TBS are going to go away. It'll all be on sports channels or over the year. Over the year will be where you get all this stuff. But what you're going to see happen to cable is it's just going to be a bunch of reruns, right? The Daily Show doesn't even make sense anymore on Comedy Central. They should cancel it. They, I think they brought it back yesterday. It makes no sense to The Daily Show to be on a channel that shows reruns all the time. That's going to be the new MTV, where it's just ridiculousness all day long. I've never even seen that show, but I know it's the only thing that MTV airs. And it'll just be reruns on Comedy Central. And eventually these channels will, will die out. Yep. Now, I should say the premium ones, they'll still have their prestige TV in scare quotes, right? But, uh, you know, continuing to air live sports, it just doesn't make sense. Especially when you can just put it on Peacock. Like we're going to see with a, 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 I don't even know what this is called, Boxer, B-O-X-X-E-R, that just signed a deal with Peacock. That's really where these things are going to go. All right, John, uh, why don't you close this out? All right. Best wishes to Dick Vitale. And that sounds like he's not doing better. Uh, he's certainly he doing, better. doing better. Yeah. So best wishes in a good way. Uh, congratulations to Dick Vitale, who has set a return date of November 28th. Uh, very much looking forward to having Dickie V back on the air and hope that he can stay healthy uh, and have a peaceful year. He has certainly earned it. Uh, and uh, best wishes to him. That about covers it. Another week down, more to go. We'll be back. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I will not be back the next two weeks. Maybe perhaps a, a guest co-host. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll be off gallivanting in Europe, but um, the show must go on, John. Yes. Or maybe it mustn't. Who knows? Well, I don't know. I've, I haven't decided. Uh, you know, it depends on if I can get a, a guest. I haven't even asked anyone to be a guest, so we'll see. <laughs> I'll see if I can find somebody who uh, wants to uh, join in. But uh, stay tuned. We might be back next week. We'll have to work around, obviously, Drew's absence. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, don't forget, if you have not already, please subscribe and, you know, maybe even tell your friends. Tell your friends about a sports media podcast and lose them forever. All right. I'll see you. uh, I'll see you when I see you. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.